Please turn in your Bibles now to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, and verse 12. You can find this on page 1320 in the Pew Bible. We're continuing this uh, series through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we looked at the first half of this chapter last week and saw the beautiful diversity of gifts that God gives to the church. And now, as uh, Paul continues speaking on this theme, we want to emphasize the unity of this diverse body uh, that the Lord builds. And so we'll pick up the reading at verse 12, and I'll read down through the end of the chapter. And this is the word of God. For as the one, as, sorry, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. And there we'll end the reading. May God bless his word to us as we think about it together this morning. Last week, I'm sure you saw that uh, Chief, or not Chief Justice, but Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer announced his retirement. And uh, President Biden was quick to say uh, that he would be nominating a replacement And what was striking in his announcement was that he didn't say, first and foremost, he was going to find the most brilliant legal mind that he could find or that he was going uh, to get the judge with the most experience uh, or even a particular judicial philosophy, but he said he was picking a judge that had a certain skin color and a certain gender, and those were going to be his first characteristics. Now, obviously, he would look for other characteristics as well, but it's striking the way our culture views diversity 
today. It views it in a very superficial way. And we've been told again and again, our diversity is our strength. But our diversity is not our strength if that view of diversity prevents us for looking from, for excellence, first and foremost, or if it causes us to view people merely as members of groups, identity groups, rather than as individuals with particular gifting and particular qualifications. Our society's approach to diversity, in fact, doesn't lead to unity. It often leads to disunity and division. And, and you have to look no further to what's going on right now in our society to see this. Now you have the phenomenon of separate graduation ceremonies from different universities, depending on your race and other characteristics. Uh, you have situations where uh, dorms are now being separated out on these other external characteristics. And so rather than letting our diversity bring us to greater unity, uh, the way we look at diversity in the culture creates more and more division and more and more separation. And this was how it was in the church in Corinth. God had given the people in this church wonderful gifts. In fact, I put in your outline uh, a, a quotation from 1 Corinthians 1, verses 4 to 7. This is what Paul wrote to them right at the beginning of this letter. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift. These were genuinely gifted Christian people. And yet, the way that they practiced and used their gifts was promoting division in the church, not unity in the church, not health in the church. And this is an important truth that we need to think about this morning. And that is that as God has gifted us differently and put us together in the church, the faithful use of our gifts should promote the unity and the health of the church. If the exercise of our gifts is not promoting the unity and the health of the church, something is wrong with how we're viewing our gifts. And so that's our main point this morning. The faithful use of your gifts in the congregation will promote the congregation's unity and health. Children, if you're going to draw a picture this morning, maybe what you could do is divide your, uh, your place to draw in two, and on one side, draw a picture of a person who's just a giant eyeball, okay? And, and then on the other side, draw a person that looks more like a normal person. And uh, listen as we talk about uh, how those two people might be different and why one is, is definitely better uh, than the other. And there is an outline in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along. The first thing we want to notice here is that Jesus has made you one body in him. And this is in verses 12 to 14 of our text. He begins uh, in, in verse 12. Now as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So he's describing there the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, like a human body, many parts, but one living, functioning 
being. And what makes us one being? He says in verse 13, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. That's fascinating. We just pause right there. He's saying that distinctions of race and religion and social class, he's not saying those aren't real things, but he's saying those aren't the important things. Those are not the ultimate issues. Those things don't matter as much as being made one by the Spirit of God who has drawn us together. And what he's describing here when he talks about being baptized into one body and then at the end of that verse, having been made to drink in one spirit, he's speaking about their conversion, that these people have shared a common experience of the Holy Spirit coming into their lives They've embraced Christ as their Savior, and because of that, they now share this common principle of life, and they're connected to each other through Jesus Christ. This is what Matthew Henry says in his commentary, and this is in your outline. They are one body because they have one principle of life. All are quickened and animated by the same Spirit. He goes on to say in verse 14, for in fact, the body is not one member but many. So to have a healthy church, just like to have a healthy body, you need multiple people. You need multiple families. You need a diversity. This is one reason why a home church that is sort of your family, your brother's family, uh, your brother-in-law's family, never makes for a healthy church. People try to do that all the time. Not, good, not a good idea, because you don't have the diversity that's needed for a healthy body. And what's implied in these verses, and which he says explicitly in verse 27, is that you are the body of Christ. As the church, you are the physical presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in the world. And that's really a profound idea, that Christ isn't physically present in the world but his people are, and that's how Christ's presence is experienced uh, in the world. This is why Jesus says to, to Saul on the road to Damascus, right? Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's what Jesus says, because Jesus identifies so closely with his people. Saul was persecuting Christians, therefore Saul is persecuting Christ. One of the things that's missed, I think, in our English translations of this passage is the significance of the word member. Because to us, we tend to think of member as like someone who joins a club or a service organization. So some of you children are members of 4-H, right? You're, you're members of 4-H or the robotics club or this particular sports team. You, you join it, it's just a social arrangement. But the word member in Paul's day doesn't mean that. The word means limb or organ. So, so what he's really talking about are liver, spleen, kidney, arm, leg. This is what it means to be part of the body. What he's stru stressing here is the organic unity of dissimilar parts into one being. It's much more radical than just, hey, we all belong to the same you know, Kiwanis club or something like that. There's a supernatural unity holding diverse parts together. 
And certainly this applies to the invisible church, right? All Christians everywhere. But it's manifested in particular congregations in the visible church. And the visible church is a microcosm. This body right here is a microcosm of the great invisible church. And so we need to recognize you people in the Bloomington Reformed Presbyterian Church are part of the body of Jesus Christ. You're connected to Christ. You're connected to one another. Jesus has made you one body. And as such, secondly, your ministry is important in the church. Going on here uh, to verses 15 to 19, where Paul starts to address how this oneness works itself out. And so Paul here imagines the parts of the body talking to each other. In verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Or in verse 16, and the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not part of the body? Paul's imagining this conversation between parts of the body. The foot looks up at the hand. The foot sees a beautifully manicured hand, not mine, it's somebody else's, right? Wearing jewelry. And uh, the hand, the hand is beautiful. The hand can write wonderful poetry. The hand can play musical instruments. The hand shakes other hands when you meet people. There's so many great things about the hand. And what about the foot? The foot, it's sweaty, it's dusty in the sandals, it's, it's ugly. And, uh, and so the, the foot can think, well, I'm not a part of this. I'm not important. Uh, the hand, that's, that's what it would, it would be great to be the hand, but being the foot, it, it's not important. And similarly, he imagines the ear saying to the eye, you know, if only I could be the eye. The eye, uh, everybody looks at the eye, and the eye radiates life. Uh, how many of you have heard in, in the movies, you know, the, the, uh, the, the man holds his beloved close, and he says, you have such beautiful ears, right? It doesn't happen, right? And, and so the ear longs to get this recognition. And so the point Paul's making is that some members of the body have higher profile gifts and others have lower profile gifts, but it doesn't mean that the lower profile gifts are any less important. They're not less important. He, he goes on in verse 17, if the whole body were an eye... Where would be the hearing? If the whole body were the hearing, well, where would be the smelling? The body can't function unless every part is doing its job. And furthermore, the text tells us it's God who has put these parts together so beautifully in verse 18. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Matthew Henry, again, commenting on this, says, one member of a body is not a body. This is made up of many, and among these many, there must be a distinction, a difference of situation, shape, use, etc. So it is in the body of Christ. Its members must have different uses and therefore have different powers and be in different places, some having one gift and others a different one. Variety in the members of the body contributes to the beauty of it. What a monster would a body be if it were all ear or eye or arm. That's, that's the, the beauty of it, right? You have many diverse parts that are needed. And the scripture also tells us it's only as each diverse part does its job 
that the whole body grows and develops. I put in the outline Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16, where this point is made very clearly. He's talking about the church. He says, speaking the truth in love, uh, the church may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying itself of itself in love. That's the way the body grows, when every part is functioning. That's why the elders of this congregation think it's so vitally important, not that we are doing everything. That's the last thing we think is important. In fact, we think this church would be crippled if we were the people trying to do everything but that we encourage every person in the congregation to be using his or her gifts in a productive way for the glory of God. I looked this up the other day. 40% of the U.S. House of Representatives and 60% of the U.S. Senate are lawyers. That's actually down from some previous years. Now, this is not a lawyer joke. It's just a reality. We have some great lawyers here. Not not a joke at all. But to have so many people in one profession, it's no wonder they make so many bad decisions. Honestly, because you don't have the diversity. This is what Paul is saying. A body with only one type of organ isn't a body. A giant eye, children, is not a body. Now, you may have drawn Mike Wazowski or something there on your page, but... That, that's not a body. That's actually a monster. And, and this is what Paul is trying to help us to see here. A person might say to him or herself, well, my gifts aren't really important. I'm not a part of this body. I don't matter. I have nothing to contribute. And, and this something like this was going on in Corinth, where they had put a high premium, especially on this gift of speaking in tongues. And so people were saying, excuse me, if I can't do that, I'm really not important. They don't need me here. And Paul's saying, don't say that. Don't say that about yourself. You are important. What kind of a church would we have if we were 175 pastors? See, we're, people are laughing, right? Don't laugh too hard. Or 175 homeschooling moms, or 175 children, or 175 retired people. Right? It doesn't matter what it is. It would not function like a church should function. I guarantee you, if we had 175 pastors as a congregation, the fellowship meal would not be one you would want to attend, probably. Right? There would be a lot of weaknesses in what we could do as a body. And so recognize what he's saying here. If God has made you a part of the body, you have something important to contribute. And that may be just being faithful in prayer. It may be faithful in attending, but whatever it is, God has something for you, and it is important for the church. Your ministry is needed. Thirdly, though, we also see in the text that you need the ministry of the other people in the church in verses 20 to 24. So it seems like in Corinth you had some people despising their own gifts and not using them, but you had others who were so full of themselves that they were saying to people, I don't need you. Your gift is not important. And so you see how he addresses this in verse 20. But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have 
no need of you. It would be crazy for parts of the body to tell other parts of the body they, they don't need them. Because we understand that the body cannot exist if you start taking parts away from it. Pretty soon the whole body is going to cease to survive. So the eye may seem very, very prominent and special, but put a plate of food in front of the eye. And what can the eye do? Look at it, but can't get any nutrition from it. Can't eat it, right? So that, that, that's the point. For the body to survive, we need all the parts. Now he goes on to say in verse 22, no, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And, and many commentators think what he's talking about here are the internal organs, which they would have known something about in those days. These parts that may seem to be less important. Why? Because they're all hidden away. You don't, you don't even see them. I mean, who, who sees what his liver looks like, right? It, we might think, because it's sort of working behind the scenes, that that's not an important organ. And Paul's saying, no, it's quite the opposite. If you take away the liver, you're dead. If you take away the heart, you're dead. If you take away the lungs, you're dead. And this is why he's trying to help them see the vital parts, even though they might not be the out front parts, they might not be the most obvious parts, are often the parts that we need the most. And so because of that, he says in verse 23, those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. And here are the ideas. Um, he's saying, you know, our private parts, our parts that we cover up, right? We show, in a sense, we're showing a greater deference to them. And, and his point here is, is really to say uh, what we're trying to do is to show honor. The end of verse 24, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. That's the idea. The Corinthians were making some of their members feel inferior by what they were doing. And this was happening at the Lord's Supper, too, if you remember what we read back in chapter 11, uh, where the wealthy were coming and having a big feast and the poor people were sort of off to the side. So this was a theme in this church. And Paul's saying this is not the way it should be. We should be helping and encouraging everyone to feel important and a part of the church Commentator Simon Kistemacher says it this way, by blending the different parts of the body, God creates perfect harmony. The stronger elements compensate for the weaker so that the latter receive even greater recognition than the former. And by blending the many parts of the church, God creates strength and beauty. Very well said. God creates strength and beauty. A healthy human body is a picture of strength and beauty. A healthy congregation is a picture of strength and beauty. All the different parts working toward a common end to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we must be very careful of this attitude that would ever say, you know, you're probably more work than you're worth, right? Uh, or you really don't have anything to contribute here. You're not important. That's not the view that we should have. Now, you might be saying, again, well, in Corinth, it was clear they had this view toward people who weren't speaking in tongues. Is that really a problem for us here? Well, obviously, that particular issue isn't the issue. But I think, I think about our converse, uh, congregation and how gifted we have been with really excellent teachers. 
And in some ways, it's not a surprise. We're right next to a university. There are many people in this congregation who make their living teaching. And so it's no wonder that we have a lot of talented teachers. And because we're reformed, we might be tempted to think, well, that's where the action is. That that being a good teacher, being a good theologian, uh, being able to quote... uh, uh, all the details from the confession of faith. That's the, that's the valuable gift. That's what we really need. And while we should be very thankful for that, recognize when it comes time uh, to man the nursery, right, to set up the tables for, for the meal, uh, to make something, uh, to uh, take out the trash, uh, to r- uh, run a game at the youth group, okay? Whatever it is, we would be in big trouble if we didn't have the kind of breath, running the mops group, for example, right? We, we, we need a whole range of gifts and abilities so that we will all benefit from that. And, and that's really one of the things that we should come away from this passage. Thank God that there are people in this church that can do things I can't do. Thank God for that. That is a huge, huge blessing to us. And we should rejoice that, there are, you know, that doesn't mean we can't grow and learn some new things. That's not it at all. But that it's a blessing to have a diversity and that we work together so that God is glorified. You need the ministry of others in the church. So fourthly, we need to live like we belong to one another. See this in verses 25 and 26. So he says in verse 25, the reason God has done this, put us together, that there should be no schism or no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. This is is sort of what we should be thinking. We need to care for one another uh, in in all our diversity of gifts. In verse 26, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. This is an important feature of bodies. They are a unity. So if one part is injured, the entire body suffers. There was a young man who worshipped with us some last year who uh, was a football player. And toward the end of the season, he got an injury that's called turf toe, which is basically a hyperextension of the, a big toe. So one, one toe on one foot. But it seriously impeded his ability to play. Can't move, can't push off, can't fend off blockers, can't tackle. So even though you know, he's a big, strong, fit person, one toe that's not functioning and the body's not able to function. Right? If you've ever had a toothache, you know exactly how this works. Just one little tooth. And it can be debilitating for the whole body. Or hit one finger with a hammer and see what happens. This is what Paul is getting at. The connectivity of the body affects us, and this is how it should be in the church. So what happens? Well, we, we rally around one another when, when, there's, when one member is hurting, and there should be a desire to help those that have need or struggles or, or difficulties. I know this is one of the greatest blessings that our family experienced when I was first diagnosed with leukemia back in 2013 was the, the congregation rallying around. It, it couldn't have made it without that. It's one of the beautiful features of the church, of being connected to one another, is recognizing when one member's hurting, that affects all of us, 
and we need to come together and support one another. And, and similarly, he says at the end of verse 26, if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. This is, this is the other side of this. If someone does something well, we should all celebrate that. We should rejoice. Uh, commentator Anthony Thistleton says, we do not say to a victorious runner, I congratulate your legs, right? Congratulations go to the person, right? And, and this is a good, a good reminder, right? The use of gifts isn't about glorifying the legs, for a great race, legs, right? That's not what we're doing. We're, we're celebrating that if the legs run fast, the whole body wins. And I think last week they, they said in, in, the, in the playoff football games, at least three of those, those games were decided by a last-second field goal kick, all right? The field goal kicker won the game. Who gets to celebrate? Only the field goal kicker? No. The entire team celebrates because they're a unity pursuing a similar goal together. Uh, now, last week I made an illustration about our fellowship meals, right? I said that it really wouldn't be as much fun if we just had one casserole that everyone, I mean many, many trays of that one casserole, but we all had to eat the same thing. And I said that illustration not having any idea what was going to be downstairs when we went down to the meal. And, uh, and sure enough, it was one of our best fellowship meals ever uh, with massive variety, massive quantity, and uh, a lot of really uh, good quality things. And I contributed absolutely nothing to that. Not, not, not at all. Well, my wife did. And so, yeah, she gets credit. But I personally didn't. And uh, what a blessing that I can come and celebrate what others have done. As one commentator says, we have property in each other. We are fully vested in the gifts of one another. And, and that really is something we need to think about. A new baby is born into the congregation. That's awesome for all of us. Uh, a family loses their grandma. And that's sad. A woman who's worshipped in our church before. We, we feel that too. For the body to function well, you need to be aware of what's going on in other people's lives. And you need to live this kind of life. We are part of one entity. And we should keep that in mind. And children, you need to think about this as well. I hope your parents are teaching you that if your brother or sister gets an A on something, you should be happy. Just as happy as if you got an A on it. And if your brother or your sister hits a home run or scores a basket, hits two free throws at the end of the game, I heard we had someone do that, right? You should be just as happy as if you did that. And that's the way it should be in the church, too. Because if one of us succeeds, we all succeed. That's what Paul is telling us here. Live like you belong to one another. And then finally, know that Jesus uses your diverse gifts to promote the unity of the church. And we see this in this last little section from verse 27 to the end. So Paul says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And that's a plural you, like you all are the body, but each individual one of you is also part of this. And he goes on then in verse 28 to say, and God has appointed these in the church. And so he wants them to think about what they've seen in their church in Corinth. And so he mentions 
these different gifts and offices in the church. He says, first, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers. Now, this is the only ones in these lists that are numbered. And we might say, is, is, there, is there really a hierarchy? Well, we can say that there are some very rare gifts in the church. And being an apostle was a rare gift. An apostle had to be someone who had seen the resurrected Christ in the flesh and had been commissioned by the resurrected Christ. So there aren't any more apostles. There were very few apostles, and God used them to write the New Testament for us. Uh, there were prophets uh, able, to, able to speak a word from God, inspired by the Holy Spirit occasionally. There were teachers, people gifted in explaining the word of God to the people. It's interesting, we see this similar uh, offices listed in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, where it says, He, that is Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And then he goes on to list other gifts as well. He, he, he mentions gifts of uh, miracles. He says, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues, and then he mentions interpreting the tongue. So it's interesting here because helps is, uh, is sort of the word from, uh, for diaconing, for service. Administrations is kind of a word for governing. As some commentators think it may be a reference to ruling elders. But we have in this list things that are sort of what we would consider supernatural, things that are more common. We have things that we think maybe continue in the church today and things that don't continue in the church today. If somebody comes up to you and tells you they're an apostle, right, your, the red warning bells should be going off. We don't have apostles anymore. Once the scripture was written and we had access to it by about the first century, a lot of these supernatural revelatory gifts were no longer necessary. Now, um, what, what I like is our own church's stance upon this. While we say these things are not necessary, we don't go out of our way to say what the Holy Spirit can and cannot do. I put in your outline a, a, a quotation from our testimony, and it says this, we reject the teaching that particular charismatic gifts such as tongues and healing are normal or necessary signs of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And you notice what that doesn't say. It doesn't say that the Holy Spirit can't do whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do in unique circumstances and unique places, but it tells us what is ordinary. And what is ordinary is the Spirit applies the Word of God to communicate with us that way, and, and, and doesn't continue in these gifts. But understand, that's, that really isn't Paul's point here. Paul's saying to them, through this series, do all do this? Do all do that? He goes through the whole list. Do all have gifts of healing? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracle? What's his po point? His point is, whatever the gift is, not everybody has it. People are gifted differently, and there's no one person that has all the gifts. That's the point that he's making. And notice that on this list, what's last on the list? Tongues. And I think this is why he starts with a numerical system, first, second, third, after that, and then tongues. What is he saying to them? Speaking in tongues was a gift. And, and it was a gift that was operable in Paul's day. But it wasn't the only gift, and it wasn't the most important gift. 
And so for them to be obsessing on this one gift and making it the measure of everyone's Christianity, that was a total failing on their part. And so the the message to us is clear. Celebrate the diversity that we have in our gifting and use our gifts so that we will grow in unity because that's what Jesus does. When we use our gifts, he helps us to grow in unity. This is what they weren't doing. Their exercise of their gifts made the church divided. Christ takes you, when you're using your gifts well, he's knitting you together with other people as you use your gifts. And so if we truly grasp what Paul is saying and what he's doing, uh, uh, what he's giving to the church here, we enthusiastically embrace our own gifts, whatever those are, but trusting that Christ is going to help us all grow as we use these gifts. This is Jesus at work. And I'd have you just for a minute consider what Jesus actually did in his ministry on the earth. Jesus came and he brought a group of men together. And we might look at that and say, well, they were all very similar. Were, were they? Were they really similar? James and John, whose nickname was the the Sons of Thunder, were they really like Andrew, who seemed to be a very quiet person, Nathaniel, quiet people? Some of these guys were fishermen. Simon was a zealot. That means he was a right-wing political activist. Matthew was a tax collector, a collaborator with the occupying Romans the opposite end of the spectrum. He took these men who were very, very different, and he brought them together in such a way that they all gave their lives for him. They committed their lives, and most of them died for the faith. That was Jesus doing. That's not a natural phenomenon. That's Jesus taking the diversity of his people and making them into one thing. And from those men, the church has grown and filled the entire earth because Jesus did that. Jesus is trying to do that right here and right now. We can see him doing it. He's brought together many, many different people. He's made us one body. And so the encouragement is use your gifts in the body. Use your gifts to bless the rest of the body, and expect Jesus to make us grow and to be more like Christ. The faithful use of your gifts in this congregation will promote the unity and the health of the congregation and will be a wonderful witness because there's nothing like this in the world. There's nothing like this in the world. The church is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray and ask him to help us be that body more faithfully. Heavenly Father, we recognize the supernatural work that you're doing by your spirit to take people of different personalities and temperaments and gifts and interests and abilities and to bring them together in such a way that you create a a body, a being, a church, a, a thing that is greater than the sum of its parts. And Lord, we can only attribute that to the work of the Lord Jesus through the Holy Spirit We thank you for the members of this body. We are many members. 
but we thank you that we are one body in Christ. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to never say we don't belong here, to never say that person doesn't belong here, Lord, but you, that you would help us to rejoice with one another, to sorrow with one another, uh, to work together in such a way that our unity and our health is enhanced. And we pray that you would continue to do the great work that you have been doing and that we would know the blessing of serving one another and serving you together as the body of Christ in Bloomington, Indiana. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's respond to our Lord singing once again, this time from Psalm 68, Selection F. This uh, psalm calls us to sing praises to the Lord, who is uh, the great king of all things. It talks about his throne and his strength and his power. Uh, But as this uh, part of the psalm ends, it reminds us he is the one who gives strength and power to his people. It is God's power at work in us that makes us a functioning body, and we can celebrate that his power works in his people. Let's stand and we'll sing our praise to the Lord.